All right, we're in Psalm 103. Before we read that this morning, you know, we're going to, I want to kind of set up what we're kind of, the, the angle we're kind of taking on this a little bit. Uh, Psalm 103 is a favorite of mine, and we're only going to look at the first five verses. But there's a little phrase in there we're going to read here in just a moment that says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And we're going to kind of focus on the importance of not forgetting, the importance of remembering. You know, we're going to take the Lord's Supper at the end of the service together. And the Lord's Supper is really all about remembering, right? We, Jesus said, as often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. And so when we take the bread and we take the juice, or we, are, we are reflecting on what Christ has done. We are remembering his sacrifice. We're remembering the price that was paid for our sin when he died on the cross for us. And so memory is a powerful thing. Remembering is important. And, you know, we live in a culture that we inundate ourselves with. With memory, we naturally, instinctively, we get the importance of remembering. And so, most of the people in this room—not everybody, probably—but probably the majority of us have a smartphone. And you can probably, whether it's an Android or an iPhone or whatever, you can probably go to your photo album in there, and there are probably lots of pictures. Um, there have been times where I've had thousands of pictures on my phone at one time because I'm just not real good at cleaning them off, right? And so we, we take pictures at everything now. And just think about the technology we have. You can video, picture, you can be live on Facebook, live to the world, right? Right now if you wanted to be. We just, we live in a culture that kind of prides itself and thrives on capturing memories and moments, even if it's what we ate for dinner. Right, so I even posted that on Instagram myself last night. So I'm I'm not a hater of those that pass, that post food pics. I am a food pic poster, and so um, I, I don't hate on people for that. I think you know, just as long as you've not been eating on it for a while and stuff, that's gross. Um, but pre-eating food is perfectly okay for social media. But so we like capturing our memories, even silly ones like that. But I remember as a kid. Uh, especially around the holidays, we would gather at my grandmother's house sometimes, and we would they would break out these old reels. Remember those? I forget what you call those things. Like the I don't know. It's like a Super 8 kind of reel or whatever. What were those things called? But anyway, the, the tape, right? And you'd put it on the little thing, and they would project it up on the wall. And there's my dad as a little boy, and there's his dog when he was a little boy. And everybody, oh, my goodness. You know, everybody's going on and on about and the memories. And, and to think about now, it's just kind of like I log into Facebook or something, and it's like, here's a picture from 10 years ago. I'm like, 10 years? I was alive 10 years ago? You know, and it seems like so. I mean, it's like right there it is. And it's like, you know, 25 pounds ago and a lot more hair ago. You know, and I'm I'm like, wow, a lot has changed between 26 and 36, and right? So we are inundated with memories and remembering, and we get the importance of it in our culture. And I want, what I want to share today is it's important to our faith. It's actually critical to the Christian faith. In fact, the reason today that we are here and are Christians is God worked through people to write his word down, and a lot of it is things that they remembered from their time with Jesus or things Moses remembered about his time in the wilderness and things of that nature. And they wrote those things down, wrote those memories down, wrote those so that people could pass that on and hold to it and remember it and know it and think on it because there is power in memory. There's power in remembering. And so Psalm 103, to a large degree, is a lot of it is a psalm about remembering and not forgetting. And it's going to remind us of the importance of reflecting or meditating on God's word and on God's promises and stir, using that to stir our hearts to greater praise and greater worship of God. In Psalm 103, uh, we have a psalm written by King David. 
And it's really a celebration of God's goodness. It's a celebration of who God is. It's a celebration of what God has done. It's, there, there's no petition in it. There's no, hey, God, would you do this for me? Um, not that it's not, not okay to pray that way. We, sometimes we make petition to the Lord, right? We should pray for things. But he's just talking about God. We're, you're going to see in this psalm, he's not even talking to God. He's talking to himself about God. So look with me at Psalm 103. We're going to read the first five verses, and then throughout the message, we'll pull out some things for some other, other of the verses. But just for our focus this morning, first five verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And he goes on from there, all the way down through verse 19, he's giving the benefits, right? He's giving the practical truths about God that he's celebrating and remembering. And he moves from the context of himself to the community of faith. Right? We'll talk about that more here in just a minute. So the first thing we see here is that there's a call to worship. He says, bless the Lord, Oh, my soul. Bless the Lord. Now, what does that even mean? Is there a word that we probably abuse more than bless? Right? I'm from the South, in case you didn't know. I'm from Alabama, and we like to say, bless your heart. You know, bless their heart, which is, and this is, I know somebody else has said this, but this is, that's basically, you know, the Southerner's way or the Southern Christian way of being able to say horrible things about you behind your back and then to <laughs> stamp God's approval on it. Um, so not really okay, but that's what we use that phrase for. You know, they're such an idiot and a fool, and they shouldn't have a driver's license. Bless their heart. Um, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, that's not okay. that's not the proper use, right, of that phrase. What does it even mean? We talk about blessing the food. We talk about bless this, bless that, bless me, bless it, bless, 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 bless. Some people almost use it like a curse word, right? And so, what do we mean when we say bless? And what does it mean to bless the Lord? Well, it literally, it literally means in this context. To praise, to speak words of excellence about. In the context of Psalm 103, it's praising God for who he is. In other words, David is saying, Soul, I want you to celebrate the godness of God. And that's what it really would mean to bless the Lord, to say excellent things about him. You're saying things that are true about him, right? I could bless you, I could say excellent things about you, or you could say excellent things about me, and they may or may not be true. But when we're saying the excellent things about the Lord, we're saying things that are true about Him, and we're really just celebrating the godness of God, the holiness of God, the love of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the character of God, the nature of God. And we're just celebrating that. We're praising Him for that. Now, notice this call to worship is a personal call from David. He doesn't address God. He, it's, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's addressing David. He's reminding himself of what's most important. You know, we got to learn to talk to ourselves and preach to ourselves about God and His Word because I can promise you that you talk to yourself and you preach to yourself time to time about other things. Your fears preach to you. Your doubts preach to you. Your discouragement preaches to you. We talk to ourselves about a lot of things. So we better learn to combat that with talking to ourselves about things that are true from the Lord. The question is not, do you talk to yourself? The question is, what do you talk to yourself about? 
I don't mean, you know, weirdly walking around in public saying things out loud to yourself. I'm talking about that inner voice that's inside of you <laughs> that nobody hears but you. That the, the thinking man, the thinking woman inside who's thinking and meditating and sometimes is very anxious or very worried and very fearful even though it doesn't show on the outside. That part of you has to learn to recall and to remember and to meditate on what is true about God and about his promises. And that's what David's doing here. It's bless the Lord, oh my soul. Right? It's an, it's an inward call. Oh, my soul. And all that is what? It was in me. You know? And I find it interesting that by the end of this thing, when you get to the end of the psalm, it's bless the Lord, angels. Bless the Lord, all those who attend him. Bless the, he's calling on everything and everybody, right? To bless the Lord. But he starts with David. He doesn't start with everybody else. He starts with David. And you want to change the world? You want to impact the world? You want to make a difference? You start with you right? We get our praise, we get our worship, we get our hearts directed properly. So David starts with David. It's a personal call to worship. And I'm convinced if we were better at caring for our souls, we would be more concerned for the souls of others. Can't help but be that way. Because when your heart's in tune with God, your heart will be in tune, and he's in his proper place, your heart will be in tune with what God's heart's in tune with. And God's always caring and compassionate about those who are lost or who are hurting or who are far from him or who are struggling. So it's a personal call to worship and it's a total call to worship. It's all that is within me. You catch that? He's demanding praise for all of him. That part of him or that part of us that's complacent or apathetic or worried or discouraged. That part of you that you just kind of let sit back a little bit. And maybe you kind of scoot it over to the side and say, I'm just going to let that part sit over here while I go to church today. And he said, all of me, every part of me, the part of me that's fearful, the part of me that's complacent, the part of me that's worried, every part of me, I'm calling all of me to recognize and celebrate God for who he is. I'm calling all of me to worship. And what we have to beware here and what David is fighting against is going through the motions. That's exactly what he's combating here. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. There's an urgency here. There's a strength here. There's a power here. There is a, I am going to worship today. Every part of me is going to be directed Godward today. He's addressing himself with authority and saying, all that is within me is going to worship. I'm not going to go through the motions today with my life. I'm not going to check off the boxes. I'm going to engage. And we can go through the motions. We, we have a tendency to go on autopilot, especially when you're used to doing something. Right? We can, you can do it at work. You can do it at the home. It's autopilot, right? And we just, we're not even thinking. You can do it when you're driving. That's why you can be on a long road trip and like 30 miles down the road, you're like, what happened the last 30 miles? You know? Is that just me? I don't know. Um, don't drive with me. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Where you just kind of like, you're, you're doing things, but you're not really thinking. You can, because your mind is so capable of doing like five things at once. The human brain is amazing. So some of you can sit in here and you can do four or five other things and listen at the same time. Or you can do this four or five other things and not listen. But some of you are probably excellent at that. You can be on there and you can be like doing things and thinking things and all this kind of stuff and you can still retain everything. And the human brain is, is an amazing, amazing thing. But what David's saying here is I'm not going to go through autopilot. I'm not going to coast through this. I'm not just going to kind of go through the motions. I am calling all that is within me to engage God in worship. Every part of me I'm calling to praise him. So we have to be careful to not cruise through this. So it's a call to worship, and secondly, it's a call to remember. He says, and forget not all his benefits. Now, 
He does this because, and then he recites the benefits, and then he comes back to calling on himself at the very end, the very last verses, bless the Lord, all my soul. And the reason for that is the forgetting not, the remembering the benefits, the remembering the goodness and the kindness of God and his work and activity in your life facilitates urging and encouraging your soul to worship. That's why it's so important that we take the Lord's Supper together. Because we're reminding ourselves as a community of faith what unites us, what brings us together, what our salvation in, what Christ has done for us. We are remembering the Lord until he returns. Because it's so powerful that it does. And we're supposed to do that in daily life, right? Preach the gospel to ourselves. We talk about that. And that's what we're doing with the Lord's Supper. We're preaching the gospel to ourselves very tangibly with symbols, with the bread and with the fruit of the vine. So he says, forget not all his benefits. That means do not lose memory or remembrance of. The idea is that we are to not lose sight of what we know to be true about God. That's very possible to do. It's possible to know something is true, but live like it's not true. Absolutely, it's possible to do that. Let me give you an example. I like potato chips. I can eat lots of potato chips. I can eat bags and bags, probably, of potato chips if I wanted to. And here's the thing. When I'm eating potato chips, you know the last thing I'm thinking about? The health content. I'm not thinking about calories or cholesterol. I'm not thinking about any of those things. I'm thinking about how good that salt tastes, how good that ranch or barbecue or whatever flavorings on them. That's all I'm thinking about, how good it tastes, right? That's all I think. And, and when and you eat potato chips, that's all you think about, unless you're on a diet. Then when you see a bag of potato chips, you see calories. You see cholesterol content. You see whatever. And you're like counting them out, right? And weighing them or whatever it is. Because when you get on a diet, you're having to discipline yourself to think about what you eat. So you think about everything differently. But when you're not on the diet and you're just eating for pleasure, right? And you're just kind of eating it because you don't think about that at all. You know it's true. You know they're not good for you, right? You know fried chicken's not good for you. You know potato chips and candy bars and junk food is not good for you. But unless you're dieting or health conscious or thinking about it, you live like it's not even true. We all do that from time to time. So it's possible to do that with what we know to be true about the Lord. To know it's true, but to kind of go through life like we don't know it's true. You know, in Psalm 50, in verse 22 in particular, the wicked are addressed. And the wicked, biblically, are people that do not know God. It's the lost. It's the unsaved. It's the non-Christian for our vernacular. And it says, mark this then, you who forget God. He addresses the wicked and God says, you mark this down, you who forget God. He refers to the wicked as people who forget God. In other words, there are people that live like God is not who he says he is. There are people who live like there is no God. There are people, whether they believe in God or not, they don't act like what he says is true and he is who he is. They're, they're marked by forgetting God. Whereas all through the Old Testament, whatever, the believer is someone who remembers the Lord, who thinks on the Lord, who holds to the promises of God. Who lives like everything about God is true. That's the difference in an unbeliever and a believer. But even as a believer, we can get through these seasons and we can go through these moments and we can make decisions and we can go through days where we're not really engaging like we should with the Lord and thinking and acting like God is who he says he is. Charles Spurgeon said this about this passage about not forgetting all his benefits. He said, Quote, memory is very treacherous about the best things. By strange perversity engendered by the fall, it treasures up the refuse of the past and permits priceless treasures to lie neglected. 
It is tenacious of grievances and holds, ben- uh, holds benefits all too loosely. In other words, it remembers all the wrongs that have been done to us, but all the good things of God or the good things other people have done, it just kind of tends to forget. He says it needs spurring to its duty, though that duty ought to be its delight. It's that it, you have to stir it and spur it to remember the right things and to think on the right things because it wants to recall the wrong things. You ever find your mind doing that? It's much easier to meditate on a fight you had, an argument you had, disappointment you had, what you're worried about, than it is to meditate on and think about what's true about the Lord. Absolutely. It requires discipline. It's a battle. And that's what David's engaging in in this psalm, that battle. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Do not forget his benefits. And then he starts listing them. Now, I want, we're just going to walk through the five real briefly here that he lists in the first five verses. He gives us five, but he goes all through that. But a lot of the ones that he lists in these, he comes back around to later in the psalm. And here's the reason for that. In the first five verses, it's all personal. He's talking to himself about what God has personally done for him. When he gets to verse 6, he changes to the community, uh, the Israelites, the, the, the body of people that he was a part of. And it's very much about what God has done for them. And he's even remembering God, guiding them in the desert, in the wilderness. And so he moves from personal to communal because here's the thing. Personal worship is always in the context of a community. It's always connected to community. And you can't worship privately for long without being drawn to thinking about the greater community. It's just the way God's wired us. Way God's wired us. But we're going to focus on the personal this morning because I believe if we get the personal right, we'll be more likely to engage in communal worship. But look at the benefits he mentions. He says, number one, he forgives. He says, he forgives. He says, who forgives all your iniquity. Iniquity is misdeeds and sin. It can even mean the guilt of our sin. He's forgiven. He's pardoned. You know, the Hebrew word there can actually mean to be indulgent towards or generous towards. So what's David saying? He has been generous in his forgiveness towards me. He's been indulgent in his forgiveness. He has lavished forgiveness of me. He didn't just forgive my iniquity. He lavished forgiveness on my iniquity. And David knew because David knew he was a sinner because David had done wicked things. You can go back about 50 Psalms, Psalm 51. And you've got David's prayer of repentance and seeking the Lord's forgiveness for what is probably remembered as David's big great sin. He committed more sins than this one, but this is the one he's known for, right? He stole a man's wife. Of that, it was a man who had went off to battle for King David. And while he was off to battle, David had an affair with his wife. She gets pregnant, and David, to cover it up, ends up having the man sent to the front lines of a battle to be killed. So he's an adulterer and a murderer. That's who writes Psalm 103. Someone who had experienced the Lord's forgiveness. David had personally experienced the kindness, the favor, the grace, the forgiveness of God. And he doesn't just celebrate it personally. He does celebrate it in the context of the community. When you go down to verses 10 through 12 of Psalm 103, he says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us. See, it goes from you, soul, me, to us, according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. Love that. He says, you want a picture of what his forgiveness is like? As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes our sin from us. That's how he regards it towards us. And the point is, you can't get farther away from it than east from west. 
They just go, right? He says, that's what God does with your sin. He just removes it as far as you can possibly imagine to infinity and beyond, right? It's just gone. That's what God does with our sin. That's the kind of forgiveness He lavishes on us. It's not kind of. It's not halfway. It's not sort of. It's all in generous, total forgiveness. So we are to bless the Lord with all that is within me because all of our sin has been forgiven. God wasn't halfway in lavishing His forgiveness on the believer and the believer shouldn't be halfway in responding to God with grateful worship. You know, David wrote this. He's looking forward to the one, to the Messiah that would come through his lineage and take away sin. Now, we look at the fact that Jesus has already come, right, to take away sin. The one has come and made it possible for the Lord to forgive our iniquity. That's why we take the Lord's Supper here at the end of the service. We're remembering the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, who come and lived a sinless life, who didn't have iniquity that he committed, didn't have sin, transgressions that he committed that needed to be forgiven, but rather lived righteously so that he could die in our place. We say this, he lived the life we couldn't live, sinless life, in our place, and died the death we deserve to die on the cross in our place, bearing the wrath of God, taking the punishment, taking that hell equivalent for us so that, and then three days later, rising from the dead, so that you and I could be saved because sin must be atoned for. It must be paid for. Sin debt must be paid. And so the only reason David could celebrate the forgiveness offered is because there was a Messiah that was coming that would remove his sin. And the only reason you and I can celebrate today is because there is a Messiah that has come and has died on the cross for our sin. And if we've transferred our faith out of ourselves and onto him and looked on him in faith, then we can celebrate this morning that our iniquity is forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. It's the blood of Jesus. It's His death on the cross that atones for our sin. But, you know, we can live like we don't remember the Lord's forgiveness, even as a believer. You say, how do you do that? When we take sin lightly. When we make excuses for it, for ourselves or for others. When we scoff at it, joke about it. When we compare it, well, they, you know, well, they're not as, I'm not as bad as them. Doesn't matter what the sin is. The only reason there's forgiveness for it is because the Son of God bled and died for it. So we take forgiveness lightly when we take sin lightly. And ultimately, when we do that, what we're doing we're taking the cross lightly. We are forgetting the expense that was paid. Forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. So in a bit, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. We're going to remember His death on the cross and holding the bread that symbolizes the body and holding the fruit of the vine, the juice that symbolizes His blood shed for us on the cross. And Jesus said when we do it, we're remembering what He's done. So my question for you today, first of all, is have you personally experienced His forgiveness? Have you personally transferred your trust to Jesus Christ? Have you personally looked to Him in faith? And believer, are you living like you've forgotten the benefit of His forgiveness and the cost of His forgiveness? He forgives. Number two, He heals. He says, who heals all your diseases. Now, people go back and forth. Some people believe this is talking physical. Some people, this is talking spiritual. Let me just tell you, they're both true. And here's how, what I mean by that. Physically, we know we do not always experience healing in this life. If you've lived, you know, more than like three years, you've caught on to that by now. 
it just doesn't always happen. We know that for the believer, no sickness, no disease, though, is forever. That we will ultimately experience healing one way or the other. One day, every believer will live in a new heaven and a new earth without sin, without sickness, with no failing health. Because God will ultimately heal every disease. And we also know that sometimes for his purposes and his, for his glory, God does answer the prayer and he does physically heal people in this life. I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't stand up here and talk to you today. I believe he still heals people sometimes. But sometimes he heals people in heaven. But he does heal all our diseases ultimately. But this could actually in context be referring to spiritual healing. The word for heals here has been noted that it sometimes is used in the Old Testament as a metaphor for spiritual life. The healing of moral and spiritual life. So here disease would be used as a way to refer to our iniquity. That sin is like a disease. It destroys. It eats away. It corrupts the health. Spiritual health. And the Lord heals us of that. He doesn't just forgive our sin. He doesn't just say, okay, you're forgiven. I'm not going to hold it against you. You're pardoned. He changes our life. He removes, he mends, he heals, he does things in our life. He, he takes sin out of our life. He purifies us. The word there for heal can mean to repair or to rebuild. can literally mean to sew together or mend. You might imagine a, a surgeon sewing together a wound. And sometimes the Lord heals and puts our life back together after physical calamity and disease, like we mentioned. And sometimes he mends us, though, Spiritually. He sews our lives together and brings spiritual health after our sin has wreaked havoc on our lives. Because God is in the business of changing lives. I wonder how many people could stand up today and could say, you know what, the Lord changed me. And in the process, my marriage is different. In the process, my relationship with so-and-so is different. And could just go through the list of the mending, the healing, where the Lord changed your heart from being someone who was corroded with sin to being someone who still sins but has a new heart that loves and pursues Jesus. And all of a sudden, you begin to see mending and healing taking place in your life because He heals all our diseases. And that includes the way sin infects and destroys our lives. He puts our lives back together. He absolutely does. And David celebrates the healing of the Lord. Thirdly, he redeems. Who redeems your life from the pit. The pit here can be translated grave. It's the place of death. To redeem means to buy back or to purchase as one's own. Now it's very possible that David here is referring to a close call with death. He had some. Not that he got close to dying, but he did go toe-to-toe with a giant named Goliath when he was a younger guy. He did get chased around by a king named Saul. They tried to kill him a few times. He fought several battles, led armies, killed Philistines. He, he, had, and he had encountered close calls with death. And he says he's the one. He says the only reason I'm alive today is because of the Lord. Because God's sovereign over life. He's, he's sovereign over it. And David had understood he had experienced his protection. And you've experienced God's protecting and preserving power. There's believers all over the world today that could say, but for the grace of God, I would have lost my life to addiction. But for the grace of God, I would have lost my life to suicide. But for the grace of God, I would have lost my life to crime. Because God redeems the life from the pit of death. But not only that, spiritually speaking, in Christ Jesus, we are redeemed. And because we are redeemed, because we have been purchased by Jesus and bought out of our slavery to sin, we're no longer a slave to sin or death or to the fear of death. We have victory over death because he didn't just die, he rose again and defeated death. 
And so he's bought our life back from the pit in the sense of we are victors over death itself. And we can celebrate that truth this morning because we serve on the empty side of the tomb. And we know death's been defeated. Fourthly, he crowns us. He says, he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Throughout the psalm, David celebrates the steadfast love and mercy of God. In verses 8 and 9, he says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. He's quoting from Exodus 34. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. In verse 11, he says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Verses 13 and 14, As as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He knows we're dust. He knows us better than we are. He knows we need his compassion or we'd be crushed. Verse 17, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. All through the psalm, the steadfast love of the Lord, the compassion of the Lord, the tender mercies of God. He says He crowns us with these things. It's a picture of a crown being placed on a head in honor. It can also, the word can literally mean to surround. He surrounds your life with these things. It's like a crown surrounds the head of a victor or a king. God surrounds your life with His steadfast love and with His mercy. We've mentioned this word steadfast love times in the past, that hesed or kesed love of God, loyal love, unfailing love, the covenant love of God. Sally Lloyd-Jones wrote a children's book called the Jesus Storybook Bible, and she refers to God's love this way, and it's the perfect picture of that Hebrew word for God's steadfast love. She says it's a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the kind of love God has for his people. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And he says he's also crowned you with mercy. That's a feeling of love, a sensation of love. It's a deep awareness, someone said, and sympathy for someone else's suffering. In other words, God is moved towards compassion for you. God, he feels with you. He understands what you're going through. And he has expressed this and shown this chiefly in that he became a man. That he took on human flesh, God the Son, and has walked in our shoes. He has mercy for us. God is aware of everything we're going through this morning, everything we've been through. One of the main ideas David is communicating for us through this psalm is that God cares for his people deeply. So if you're suffering today, or you're scared today, or you're worried today, or you're hurting today, you're troubled today, the Lord of heaven and earth knows what you're going through, and He cares deeply. Deeply. And believer, He has crowned your life with steadfast love and mercy. And you say, how do I know that? The cross shouts this. How will He... How would He who... Gave his own son, not give us everything we need. He meets us where we're at. Fifth, he satisfies. This is the final one, he satisfies. Who satisfies you with good so that you, your youth is renewed like the eagles. God fills the believer with good is what he's saying here. So that we are, to the purpose that we are renewed. The eagle is a picture of strength and vitality. It is Only God who can renew our spirit and give us strength when we feel weak or when we have failed and when we're struggling. Some even believe that 
David may have wrote this later in life, and he's even talking about the vigor he has in old age because God has just given his spirit strength. Have you ever met a follower of Christ who, though being older and advanced in years, had spiritually youthful vigor? We got some here. Yeah. You meet someone, and man, they're later in life. But there's still vigor. There's still a desire and a passion to persevere in their faith and to be connected to the local church and to be in God's Word and to be a part of what's going on and be a part of what God's doing in the world. You know where that comes from? That comes from God. That's His steadfast love and that's His mercy and that's Him satisfying them with good things so that their youth is renewed like the eagle, spiritually speaking. There's a a vigor that comes with that. That's why Isaiah 40, 30 and 31 says, Even youth shall faint and be weary. Even the youngest of people get old or get tired and grow old. And young men shall feel exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Spiritual perseverance is a miracle of God. It's God's work in our life. It's God bringing that about in our faith. It's God causing us to persevere and to look to Him in faith. And that's one of the things God does for his people. He enables our perseverance. Life is hard. Trials are hard. Life can be difficult, but the child of God has a supernatural strength available to him or her in Christ Jesus. God himself. God himself. Now, at the end of this psalm, after David had listed all these benefits, and he lists some more, he goes back to the call of worship. And it's just like an eruption of praise and celebration. Because when you think of who God is, he's calling on his soul to bless the Lord. He goes through this list of things, and by the end, he's calling on his soul to bless the Lord because he's stirring himself in worship. And when you think about on God, and you meditate on God, and you meditate on his promises and what he's done and what he's doing, it leads to praise for the believer. It leads to worship in all of life, not for the hour, hour, and 15 minutes we come together once a week, but when we're living our life, worship's 24-7. It's all of life being lived to worship. And the way we stoke that fire is through reminding ourselves of God's truth, His promises, and His gospel. You know, football fans will know what I'm talking about here. When you're watching your team, and you're playing a team maybe that you feel like you're better than, your team's better than, and the game starts, and all of a sudden it's like 10 nothing other team in its second quarter. And you're like, and your team just looks like they're just flat is the word we use. Man, they came out flat. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's no emotion. They're not fired up. They're not, they just don't seem to have the energy. The crowd seems flat. You can even tell through a TV screen. And so the coach has to get them in the game, right? Sometimes that doesn't happen to halftime. And sometimes they'll come out after halftime and they'll look like a different football team. And they come out with energy. And the next thing you know, man, it's a, it goes completely the other way the second half. That happens sometimes in sports, not just football can happen in any sport, but football particularly because it so depends on momentum, tends to have a lot of that. Basketball, same way. And maybe this morning, you came in flat. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we go through life a little while flat. You know? We're not on fire because the, the wood's wet or whatever. We're just flat. We're unengaged. We're going through the motions. We're on autopilot. And it's my hope that David would be like a football coach and that he would get in your grill a little bit this morning and that he would get in your face a little bit this morning in a loving way, not me, David. And he would say, look at what the Lord has done for you personally. David's talking about experiencing forgiveness. 
Pre-cross, pre-resurrection. We experience post-cross, post-resurrection. David's talking about experiencing the Lord's healing. Have you experienced the Lord's healing? Have you experienced His satisfaction? Have you experienced Him crowning your life with steadfast love and mercy? Has He redeemed your life from the pit? Do you have any sort of testimony whatsoever that God's been at work and doing things in your life? David wants us to think on and remember on those things because it is those things and those promises and the truths from God's word and our personal experience with him that drives us in the difficult times and helps us to persevere in difficult times and helps keep us focused so that we don't live like we've forgotten who God is. So here in just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together and it's a way of remembering exactly who God is and what he's done. His grace. And if you don't know Christ today, I want to encourage you to come to Christ today. There's no better day I can think of than the day that we observe the Lord's Supper together for you to repent of your sin and believe on Jesus. His arms are open wide. And even right where you sit this morning, you can call on Jesus in faith. And if you will turn from your sin, if you will embrace Jesus and Him alone for your salvation, believing He died in your place, paying your sin debt, believing He rose from the grave, then you can be saved today.